you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Uh, if you heard this story, I'm sorry. Uh, but when I came here, I was about 15 years old, and we were in art class, and we had this huge kind of like desk that we worked on. It was made out of really like a lot of wood and steel. So a lot of us were sitting like around it, and we were cutting glass because it was a glass art class. So I don't know if it's kind of a tongue twister, but um, we, we were in this class, and I took it twice because I really enjoyed that class. And we were working on our projects, and one of the girls, you know, looks at me and says, so where are you from, you know? And at that, th- at that time, like, I had this really thick accent, which I still have an accent, but, like, at that time, it was a lot more, like, noticeable. So I tell her, and she's like, oh, yeah, well, you kind of really remind me of this character, uh, well, this actor. Um, and I'm like, well, who? Do you ever have that when somebody says that you look like someone else? And you're like, and you automatically want to know who they are? Because, you know, if, if it's not a good person, you'd want to know. And if it's a really good person, they also want to know, right? And they're like, well, yeah, you just, you really look like him a lot. And I'm like, well, who is this guy? He says, well, he's in this show called That 70s Show. You guys remember that? It's probably before you. Because um, he was in the 70s. Oh, he wasn't. <laughs> um, and she looks at me, she's like, oh, you remind me of his character, Fez. <laughs> and I was just like, that's great. I, I didn't know who Fez was. And... Um, you know, I was like, I look like an actor. That, that's pretty awesome. And I came home, and I looked up who Fez was. Nonetheless, it was not a good comparison. Like, I don't know what she was thinking. I still don't think it's a good comparison. I'm still hurt by that. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but you get the point, right? You automatically care about that person when someone says that you look like them. Because if someone told you that, you know, you really look like Superman, you're like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's, you, you, you think so? I mean, people always say that to Sergei Tachik, but, you know, <laughs> I'm joking. Serge, it's not like a hit on you, but bro. A lot of people admire you, and I hear a lot about you, so um, I feel like I have to explain that joke. <laughs> um, but if somebody came to you and said, you know, every single time you do this and, and you act like this, you just really remind me of Hitler. That would get your attention pretty quickly. Like people, when I see people on Twitter and on Facebook comparing our president to Hitler, I'm like, seriously? You really are going to make that comparison. A person that murdered six million Jews, like do you really, do you even think of what you're, what you're saying? Needless to say, I don't think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I think a president does some really good things and he has some really big flaws, just like every single one of us. You know, and this is not about politics. I'm just saying that when we start comparing people, at least make sure it's a fair comparison. And um, I think what's even worse, though, is that inside every single one of us, we compare ourselves to other people. We constantly measure up, like, am I as famous as they are? <laughs> am I as good-looking as they are? 
Am I as successful as they are? And you're constantly going through this, no matter who you are, right? Like, no matter if you're the CEO of a company or if you're the pastor, you know, or if you are a block leader or if you just attend youth, there's always insecurities. There's always things you're comparing yourself with other people about. For me, for example, you know, I can up here, like when I'm, when I'm preaching, I feel nervous before I get up here. For the most part, I'm very comfortable. Like when I, when I teach or preach, I just, I'm kind of in my zone. And some people might look at that and say like, yeah, bro, you know, if you could be a man like Slavic, it's great because he preaches. He's a, if you were to look at that, you could just compare yourself and say, if I, if I could just be like our pastor. But the truth is, if you take me and you put me amongst a whole bunch of football players, where you take me and you put in the midst of like some very, com- very competitive guys, I become extremely insecure. Now, maybe this is a little bit more honest than I anticipated to say, but it's true. The moment I go to a party and everyone pay- seems to play way better volleyball than me, like I feel extremely insecure about that. And you might take the best athlete. And the moment you give a microphone and say, can you say something in front of people? He just completely loses it. Like, he doesn't know what to say. He just locks up. Why? Because we are comfortable in our zone, right? We are comfortable. But the moment you take us out of our comfort zone, we become insecure and we start comparing ourselves. Well, they're stronger. They're faster, they're better, they're better looking, they're more successful, they have more money, they're more popular, they're, they just know a lot of people, they just speak better. They, we constantly are doing this comparison. We're always wondering, okay, am I, do I measure up to this standard? And these standards are, a lot of them are just so false. Because you take your worst moments and you compare with their best moments. You look at an actor and you're like, that person's got everything figured out, like they're famous and they have all this, and then you realize that they're dealing with depression. And you're like, why? Just because, you see, you've you've been comparing your lowest moments with the highlights of someone's life. So... It's not a fair comparison by any means. So then, who should we become like? Who should we compare to? How should we go about this? How do I feel okay when I go to a a park and everyone's playing volleyball and I'm just like, I'm not very good at this game. Like, and if I do this, I'm going to get really embarrassed really quickly. And because I was not really an athlete growing up, like, if you're not an athlete, you know that your body moves in very awkward ways. Right? Like, you you know that you're not, when you run, you don't look very good when you run, just because you don't really know how to run well or proper. So, so if you were to, to look at that, you can get extremely depressed. And, and my, my hope tonight is that we deal with an unpacking and say, hey, you don't have to compare yourself to all those standards. 
Because all those standards are set up to be, they're, they're false. If you really want to compare yourself to somebody else, look at their, the entirety of the whole life. You, would know, you need to know every single moment of their life because you don't really know the struggles that they have. You don't know the insecurities. You don't, have, you, you don't know the lowest moments that they're going through. So don't. Because you see, we become, there's this famous theologian that said this powerful quote. He said that we become the image of the God that we adore. What he was saying is the image that you worship is you're going to become that. So, so if all you want is to achieve you know, a certain status, you might achieve that and that will become your God. And that's how idols are formed. If I could just become really popular on Instagram, if I could just really grow some muscle for, for, for once, if I could lose weight, if I could just get better looking, if I could, you know, do this, and you're constantly doing that, and you're constantly striving towards that, and slowly by slowly, that starts to eat you from inside out. That starts to become the standard. That starts to become the idol that you are dancing around, and the idol that you are warping around. You're slowly devoting everything that you are and everything who God called you to be to this one thing that's a false god, it's an idol, and it will fail you. It's just a matter of time. Because if, you, if you've been worshiping beauty, it's just a matter of time when your face starts to sag. You know? You know, friendships are like, some people say friendships are like wine. They get better with time. But we age like milk. You know, like, not very good. Like, our bodies are constantly, you know, going towards, you know, (laughs) towards death. As crazy as that sounds. So, what I'm trying to tell you is that it, it matters who do you have on the pedestal. So, I want you to just take one minute right now, like, as, I, as, I'm, as I'm preaching, would you just kind of ask the Lord right now, Lord, what is my struggle? And the Holy Spirit is going to bring it to you right now. Where well, He's going to convict you. You know, if, you, if you're attentive to what He is saying, the very thing that you struggle with, the Holy Spirit is going to bring it up to you right now. And he's going to convict you of it. Because that idol, that dumb idol, He can never replace God. I love what Amanda said when she said that, like, you try your best to try to feed yourself with, at least that's what I got from the message, you know, like, feed yourself with the same thing, expecting different results, but it's not going to happen. There's this famous theologian, Augustine, that said this, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. You'll go through life and you'll have, you'll have different idols. If, if boyfriends are an idol for you, they will fail you and you'll go through life worshiping an idol that will fail you constantly. If money or power or fame, see, because you are not called to worship that image. You are not called to do that. I'm amazed, you know, even though... Uh, how how people, as they get older, they feel like if they can just get more of the stuff that just failed them, 
then they can get better. What I mean by that is I was just talking to uh, a coworker of mine. We're, we're, we're both in real estate, and like this you know, coworker was looking for a property for this client in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, why would anyone want to live there? Can you even get electricity down there? Like, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere. He's like, well, you know, she kind of bought a property in this, this little town, but then she wanted to be even more exclusive because she didn't feel happy in this town. So every few years, she's been moving to be more and more isolated because she feels like something's missing. And I'm like, so you moved into a town thinking that's going to make you happy because there's less people. And you think that the more, and that didn't satisfy. And now you're thinking the more of it will satisfy you. Or someone that gets a promotion and looks forward their whole life to this promotion. And then they get it. And then they, oh, if I can just get that next promotion. It's like, really? This just failed you. Do you think some? Or if you're on Instagram or Facebook, I, I happen to have some friends that, are, you know, they care about numbers and likes and on Instagram a lot. If I can just get to 10,000, if, yeah, but if I can just get to 100,000, then I'll be happy. It just never really satisfies. It's a constant thing. And I don't know if you've noticed, but people that always have a conflict with other people, it's not because the people around them are like, they, they look for conflict. It's because there's a conflict in here. I was talking to a friend of mine, and they're like, well, I don't like this church. I don't like your church because of this. I'm like, what about this other church that you've been going to? Yeah, I don't, no, don't like the pastor there. What about this one? So about three or four churches. I'm like, so is there, is there a church that you like? Well, there's this other one. I'm like, so have you, have you been serving there? No, no, I've only attended there once. And I'm like, wait, so... You went through three different churches and nothing really satisfied you. What guarantees you that going to this church is going to change that? Maybe the problem is not in those churches. Maybe the problem is in you. It, there's a conflict in here. If you are fighting with everyone around you, trust me, the problem is not with them. The problem is with you. If you cannot have peace constantly, the problem is with you. If you're never satisfied, no matter who you hang out with, oh, if I can just hang out with those people, the problem is in here. It's not out here. It's deep in here. You've been worshiping the wrong image. So, I talked about how Jesus says that I am the truth, the way, and the life. What else do you need in life? The whole point of life is to, to live it, right? To, to experience it to the full. And people go around saying YOLO. That used to be a big thing back in the day. I don't know if you guys remember it, but like you only live once. And I'm like, that's just not true. We know that we live forever. We might die once. So YODO for you. <laughs> not YODA, but YODO. <laughs> Preach a sermon on that. But like... We are called to live for eternity. So trust me, there's enough time for you to live. But how do you live this time determines eternity. 
So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, look, if you, if you want to experience fullness in your life, he says in a different verse, I came that you might have life, a life to the full, or more abundantly. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, and life to the full. Now, if you've been robbed, the thief came to steal. So he's been robbing you. If you feel like you've been murdered, you know, stabbed in the back, the thief came to kill. And if you ever found yourself at a moment of despair, the thief came to destroy. And that's what he intends. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, I think in our youth ministry, there's a spirit of suicide. There's people in here that you're dealing with a spirit of suicide. That is not normal. That is demonic. That is from the devil. And you have to take charge and say, I will not live according to what he you know, is, is telling me. Because he came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life. A life to the full. Now, I want you to listen to me on this one. Because this is, I know, God really dark really quickly. But why would you listen to the enemy when he's been lying his whole existence? Why would you listen to someone that has a record of always telling lies? For some reason, I, I don't understand how are we so suspicious about God when he has a record of always telling the truth. And we're not suspicious of the doubts the enemy puts in our mind. Timothy Keller says, doubt or doubts, because they most likely they come from the enemy. So if you feel that you have a depression that comes over you, you, don't, you're, you no longer have to be in that. There's hope in Jesus Christ. But you have to look at the right image. You have to look and worship the right person. Now, what, what am I driving to? You see, God, when He created you and me, He created you in His what? Image. There's this phrase that theologians use called imago Deo. In the image of God. You are not made in the image of a dog. You are not made in the image of a cow. You are not made in the image of a monkey. You were made in the image of God. God made you eternal. God looked at you, looked at Adam and Eve and the whole humanity and says that what I've created is good. So if you ever feel like you should hate yourself, remember this is from the enemy. God created human beings and he said, they are good. But what happened? Okay, if, if the human beings are good, then why is it that they, they are capable of doing some crazy murders and rapes and lying and stealing and so on and so forth? Why is that, does that happen? You see, God created us in his image, but that image has been tainted by the enemy. When we sinned, our image was tainted. And God's whole plan of redemption is to get you back to the image that you were created to be. To be in His image once again. 
Imagine for a second here, if you can, I don't know if you can fully imagine this, to have motives that are not cloaked in jealousy. Imagine for a second to have pure thoughts about every single person that you encounter. Imagine for a second if you can go about your day and not have any hate, any lying, anything in you, any depression, any disease, any, all those things are the result of the fall. All, all those things are the result of, of the enemy deceiving Adam and Eve. Now, what, what had happened there? Well, Adam and Eve, you know, bit an apple or a fruit. The Bible doesn't say it was an apple, but it was a fruit. No, actually, that's not what happened. Yes, that happened later. But the first sin that happened, it wasn't them biting the, the fruit. The first sin is when the enemy came, Eve started to agree with the enemy. And the enemy said, you know, God is pretty much holding something from you. Because the, the enemy says, has God really told you? So he comes in with like a question. Has, has God really told you this? Not to eat from that? And then he doubts when, when God said that if you eat out of this, you will surely die. The enemy says, no, you're not going to die. You won't die. God just knows that the moment you, know, you eat out of this, you be, you'll become like him. You'll be God yourself. You can, you can decide between what's right and what's wrong. Now, this is what happened. I hope you can still follow me on this because I'm kind of all over the place. I'm going to promise to bring it to a, to a conclusion here. But well, what happens here is that the first sin it was her saying, yeah, I think God is really holding something from us. And are we really going to die? I mean, it'd be cool to be like him, to decide for ourselves what we want and what we don't want. And if you are honest with yourself, that's the exact same struggle you have. When the enemy comes to you and says, do you really have to listen to what God says? In the, the Bible is written like 3,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago. So like, do you, and he starts with a doubt. And I go, oh, maybe I should decide things for myself. And you start not trusting God, but you start putting not his image, not his, you know, his persona, not him on, on the God pedestal, but you start putting yourself, your intellect, you put your decision-making, oh, I think, I think this is good for me. Not going to church, yeah, that's, I, think that's, that's, I think that's good for me. Well, trust me, the enemy has about 6,000 years of experience at deceiving people. You have, you're no match in a fight against him. My point is this. Have God on the pedestal that he belongs. Listen to his voice when he says that I came to give you life. Every single thing, every single boundary that he set for you, that is for you to keep you alive. When I see some of the people that I graduated with, and I, I was in high school, I didn't really have a lot of friends. Actually, I didn't have any friends, but like, well, I won't say any, but I had very limited friends because I couldn't speak English. But the thing is, is that I always kind of constantly longed to have friends in high school. But I graduated my high school with not really, nobody really knew me. 
And I've always kind of wanted that. So about 10 years later, I met with a friend of mine and I was like, man, when we were in high school, I just really looked at your crowd and I was just like, I would give so much just to like be part of that crowd and be friends with those people. They seem like they're having fun and they're, this is so awesome. And it's like, man, this sucks. Like I, I can't, why can't I, you know? This guy looked at me and says, Lavi, trust me. It's a good thing that you, you didn't hang out with me and my group because that caused about 10 years of brokenness, 10 years of brokenness in my life. I'm just coming back to Christ. So what I thought was God sort of sheltering me and, and not having friends, what I thought it was a bad thing, actually it was God's grace that kept me there. Because if I start hanging out with that group, who knows where I would be here, if I would be here today? Who knows where I would be? It was His grace that kept me there. Some of the boundaries that your family and your, your, your parents put around you, you know, now, now not all parents are godly. I understand that. But if you have godly parents and they put boundaries, that's not there to kind of stifle your growth. That's there to keep you growing. That's there to make sure that you don't get into a situation that you can't recover from. That's God's grace in your life. Cherish that. Treasure that. So what is the image that we adore? What, are, what is the image that we put on this pedestal? It has to be Him. We have to listen to what He says. We have to listen to what, what He kind of declares over our lives. Now, there's this passage that I, I love so much in, in Romans 8.28. He says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what God is saying here is that no matter what happens in your life, no matter if you have fun or you don't, at the end of the day, you know, what Whatever you're going through, God, if you love Him, if you trust Him, if you listen to His leading, then guess what? He will make sure that everything that happens in your life happens for a good reason. People keep on saying stuff like, yeah, everything happens for a reason. Not everything happens for a good reason. But for those who love God, who listen to Him, everything happens for a good reason. So then... How do we make sure that we are transformed? How do we make sure that we, first we have to put him on the pedestal. We have to worship him. We have to adore God. And you see, a lot of times, you know, like that video played, we have all these kind of conflicted things. We want to do this and that, but we're, we're nowhere. Because you want to do so many goals and you can't really focus on one. There should be only one goal in your life. That's, you know, a spiritual goal. Obviously, you have like business goals and so on and so forth. But when it comes to your spiritual life, it should be only one goal, and that is to worship Him and Him alone. To not have any other gods in your spiritual life except Him. Have Him on the pedestal of your life. <clears throat> in this passage, Matthew 22, 15, 22, says this, the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with their supporters of Herod to meet with him and said, Teachers, 
They said, we know that you are honest. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't pay, uh, play favorites. Now tell us, what do you think about this? It is a right to pay taxes to Caesar or not. But Jesus knew the evil motives and said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Here, uh, show me a coin used for the tax. When, he, when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture on the tile, on the tile are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, he said, give Caesar's what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So, so what's happening here is they come to him and says, okay, should we pay taxes or not? And they're trying to like really kind of pit Jesus, you know, between what he's supposed to do in the kind of like spiritual world and like the physical world. Should he pay taxes or should he give all the money to God, and so on and so forth. So it's a trap. And Jesus says, picks this coin and says, whose image is on this coin? And what Jesus was saying is, look, because Caesar controls pretty much everything, and the reason you have coins is because of Caesar, well, you should pay a tax to Caesar because Caesar put this in payment and plan. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. I love how Rav Zacharias says this, that there should have been a different question too. What is God's? And the answer to that is, obviously, whose image is on you? You see, because you were created in His image, that you resemble who He is, because you were built in His image, you belong to Him. And if you really want to know what God intended for you to live as a human, like what, what being human even means, if you want to know what humanity is without sin, without evil, without murder and rape and all those things, you have to trust the designer of humanity. See, because if God made you and made me and everyone, every one of us very unique, very individualized and specific eye color and, and hair, don't you think he thought of everything else? Don't you look forward to the day when we get to listen to music that we have never heard? He's the creator of all that. He's the creator, and you know, if you're attracted to people, well, the reason you're attracted to him, to, to him or her or whoever is because you see that behind the brokenness, there's an image. But the problem becomes, if you become a worshiper of people, then you become even more corrupt. The beauty that God allowed us to experience through music, through paintings, through sunrise and sunsets, the beauty that we see in people was supposed to point us to the bigger beauty, and that is Him. If you love snowboarding in the hills and, and the mountains and so on and so forth, the beauty that you see out there is supposed to, you know, draw you to the bigger beauty, which is heaven. When God restores everything how He was designed to be, that is the cry of every single one of, of our hearts. Because you see, 
our image has been tainted by things like sloth. Sloth is like laziness. You see, God did not create work <clears throat> after the fall. People think that God punished people with work, but that's not the case. You see, God gave Adam tasks to do before the fall in the garden, namely to name all the animals and to take care of the garden. You see, because we are like God, we are meant to be creators. We are meant to be like Him and, and create things with our hands and create things with our, with our voices. And so, so if God has placed in you to become a musician, he, that's a God-given gift. <coughs> if God has given you a gift to, to take pictures, that's a God-given gift. If God has given you a gift to do construction or to, to you know, uh, work in McDonald's, I don't know what it is, like, right? Like, to, to make food... That appeals to one side of us that God has given us, and that is to create things. But when sin entered, what happened is it got tainted, and now we have sloth, where you're like, uh, you have apathy, you don't feel like doing anything, you have laziness. That is a result of the fall. We have things like pride. We, we decided that we want to choose things for ourselves. So, so that's a result of our, of our fall, no matter how you, you put it. And by the way, pride is the first sin. It was the sin that caused all the sins. You see, because Lucifer became Lucifer because of his pride. That was the first sin. We have things like wrath and anger. Wrath and anger is, is not... You know, there's zeal, which is a passion. It says God is jealous. God is, is, has zeal. God has also, it's called righteous anger, which is not the same thing as rage and anger that we, we know. Righteous anger is you are standing up for a righteous cause. But if you allow your anger to just completely destroy other people's lives, that is not of God. If, if, if anger is taking over you, that is not of God. We have things like lust. Lust is something that, that was not, you know, you're supposed to enjoy the company of people. You're not supposed to look at them as a piece of meat. You were supposed to enjoy that company. You were supposed to, and being attracted to a person is not sinful. It's just when you start to kind of like fantasize in your mind, when you start to kind of like give into that temptation, that's, you know, because that, that attractiveness, it was tainted by sin and now it became a way for people to, to sin. It became a way for people to kind of display their evil desires. Lust was never part of God's creation. God didn't create that. So, you see, when God starts to come and restore that, He gives you, instead of laziness, He gives you a passion. He gives you zeal. Instead of pride, He gives humility. He completely transforms all, all that around. Instead of anger and, and hate and so on and so forth, He gives you love and a kind spirit, right? Like, He, he gives you a kindness and gentleness towards people, not going around and starting to fight with everyone that you know. If you have, you know, greed was another thing that, 
that basically was not something that God has intended, but because of our, of our fall, greed became part of our everyday struggle. You see, when, when, when God comes in and He restores you, He gives you instead of greed, He takes greed and turns it into generosity. He takes you like constantly hoarding your money and, and thinking all about yourself to start thinking about other people, be it in service, be it in giving, and so on and so forth. God changes all those things. He takes things like lust and He gives you self-control. And you're able to manage that. You're able to say, you know what? I will not allow temptation to overcome me. So, I'm not sure what you're dealing with. But I want to put today back the spotlight where it belongs. And that is on Jesus Christ himself. You see, God created you. And he made you a creator. So I want to give you really quick Five different things. I'm going to run through them because we just don't have a lot of time. But that, that Jesus does that we're called to do. We are called to have a relationship with God. I think all of us know that. We are called to love people because God cares about... Outside of God caring about the Trinity, He cares about people. That's the next thing. You want to be like Jesus... Make sure that you are having fellowship with the Trinity, having fellowship with the Holy Spirit, having fellowship with the Father, having fellowship with Jesus Himself. Next thing is, is that you have <clears throat> fellowship with other people. The next thing is, is that God is going to give you a passion and, and seeing beauty and brokenness. So the same Spirit of God that comes in and starts to redeem people that are broken will become part of you. And you will be drawn towards people who are broken, people that are, are forgotten, people that don't smell nice, people that are actually angry all the time. God is going to give you a special kind, kind of like place in your heart for these kind of people. So when you come and start fellowshipping, when you're having friendship with, with God, you're going to start caring about your relationship with God. You're gonna, then you're going to start caring about people. Then you're going to start seeing, you know, beauty and the broken situations. And you'll become more and more like Him. And the next thing is, is that God's going to make you a creator. So you're going to look at systems that are broken. You're going to look at people that are broken and say, hey, we can take care of of homeless people because I love serving people, because I love cooking. And what a, what a, what a, what a great way to serve the homeless people by actually using what I really enjoy, which is cooking. I love speaking, so I'm going to take that and, and I'm going to start speaking hope, be it through a small group, be it on stage, be it whatever God has called me. I'm going to use the creativity that God has given me through my songs, through my poetry, through, through my YouTube channel, my, my Instagram. I'm going to use that, my creativity that God has given me, right? I'm going to use that to reach the goal that God has given me. The calling that God's giving me. And the last thing is you'll be able to do is once you start having fellowship, once you get a heart for people, once you start seeing the broken situations, you start seeing that there's beauty there and that all, all it needs is, is something. I think what I love the most about this youth ministry is that a lot of you come in here and forgive me for saying this, but you kind of are a little bit weird. Like you don't really fit in and you know that. Because people here are not like you. But slow by slow, as you go to every single small group, as you 
you become something new. You know, because you see, all of us, to a certain extent, are weird. All of us come from weird backgrounds and broken situations. All of us have those moments, right, that we're not proud of. All of us have, you know, some things in our trunk that we're not really fond of telling people about. All of us, and God comes and He starts to kind of like put us together. And in this, in this youth ministry, a beautiful thing happens where we start caring about one another, even though they didn't grow up in the same environment as we. Even though at the beginning you had nothing in common with them, you thought they're weird and they thought you're weird and like so on and so forth. But as God meshes us together, something beautiful starts to happen. And we might not have the same background, skin color, eye color, and hair color. And we might not have the same character. We might not have the same education. We might come from really rich families or really poor families. Regardless of what background you come, God brings all these people in this family and people start caring about one another and saying, hey, tell me about your struggle. Tell me who you are. I want to know who you are. And as you're doing this, God is going to make you holy. He's going to change you. He's going to transform you. And you're going to be, day by day, remember why I told you, you become the image you adore? If you start worshiping Him, if you start looking up to Him, you become more and more like Him every single day. I want to close with this verse. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, All of us who have our veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is spirit makes us more like him as we are changed into his glorious image another translation says as we behold his glory as we come here and we are worshiping the Lord as we are doing that God is slowly transforming us day by day God is making Max more like Christ. Day by day, God is making Reuben more like his son. Because remember, in Romans 8, 28, it says that he called us to become like Jesus, to become made into his image. So in the last seven minutes that we have here, I, I just want to really thank you for all of you who have put your heart and you didn't give up on it. When somebody called you out and said you were weird or someone talked bad about you or you didn't give up, you said, you know what, I, I'm here because of the Lord and not because of what people say or they don't, don't say about me. I want to commend you for doing that. I, I want to commend you for you becoming more like Christ every single moment, every single day. I, I want to commend you for this year taking step by step. I know it was not comfortable, first of all, it's like me going to the gym the first time or going to a park where I couldn't play volleyball for the first time. It doesn't feel good. You're like, what are these people going to think of me? Am I going to embarrass myself? But you've done that. You step out of your comfort zone. And God says, take another step. And, and what I hope in 2018 is, as we behold Jesus, He will change us even farther. He is going to make us more and more like Him. So by the end of next year, all of us might reflect Him even more. Would you agree? Do you think that that's what we should be doing? So, so 
I'm going to call you to prayer right now, but you know there's idols in your life. You know that maybe, maybe you thought the money is going to do it, and you've been working and skipping you, skipping everything just because you, you need to get that paycheck. You know, another day, another dollar. Maybe it doesn't have to be like that. Maybe you just can't wait not having your phone on Instagram in church just because you... What if you just have some influencer just giving a shout-out right in church and you missed it? Like, you could... You don't have to do that. Once you start being defined by what God says, all these things are just things that you use to, to, to reach to the broken, not... Oh, I need a sense of validation. I need someone to tell me that, uh, give me a like on Instagram and tell me that I'm successful and show their approval of me and so on and so forth. And some of you guys are doing that about ministry. Like, oh, Slavik didn't ask me to, to be a small group leader. Well, I'm just not going to be a small group leader because I'm not asked. Like, if you would have asked and if you would have told me that I'm a leader, then like exactly what do I have to do with that? What do I have to do with what God has called you to do? You know what I have to do? All I look is I step back and say, I'm just going to bless that. And I'm going to support you in that. But it's your walk with the Lord. Now, of course, like I'm in the position that I'm in because God has kind of put me as a, a sort of like the middleman trying to keep the peace and kind of be like the go-to guy for everyone. But at the end of the day, don't allow what the pastor said to hold you or not hold you from ministry. Don't allow that to crush your dream like this is your walk with the Lord. Don't allow that to stifle your growth. You know, but make sure you are at the same time you're not rebelling. At the same time, you're not the, the problem. So I really encourage you this, this year, 2018, you, you really... Say, Lord, I, I, it's just me and you, and what I do is not for another approval. What I do because it is I want to worship you. I want you to become the center, not the first thing that what I do, the center of everything that I do. Not praying in the morning and then I live my day the way I want to. Jesus will become the center of everything you do. Like washing dishes, Jesus is the center of that. I have this amazing new device that I got as a gift. Well, my roommate got as a gift, but now it's a gift for all of us because it's in the house. It's called OK Google. And you just tell it, OK Google, play worship music. And it just plays worship music. So you can wash dishes and worship the Lord. It's, it's amazing. You don't have to, like, if your hands are soapy, like, all you have to do is just, just tell her and, like, plays worship songs. Oh, OK Google, play Times Square Church podcast. I don't know, says, here's where you left off, and then plays a podcast. And I'm like, can I just thank God for living 21st century? I went to the dentist, and like, I, I, I last week, and uh, they found out that I had a, a broken tooth, and they decided that, hey, do you want to fix it? And I'm like, yeah, I want to fix it. So they started to drill, and then they realized that my nerves are like, you know, they were not like, it wasn't numb enough. And I got this sharp pain, I was like, oh, stop. And she just takes this little thing and just puts it in. And literally three seconds later, I, I'm not lying, three seconds later, all the pain just gone. And she's like, did you want to say something? I'm like, yeah, I thank God for living in the 21st century. 
And I was sitting there, I was like, Lord, I thank you so much. This is, oh, Lord, thank you so much. And I'm worshiping in the chair. Like, I'm, I'm just exalting the Lord, you know, while having all that stuff in my mouth. And, like, my, my mouth is open wide. But I'm just worshiping the Lord. And I'm like, I'm just going to, like, take a moment. I'm, I'm having a moment right now. I'm just going to worship the Lord right now. So would you stand with me right now? And we're going to pray and bring this to a close. If you've been dealing with depression, if you've been dealing with the spirit of suicide, if you're dealing with nightmares, remember this is not of God. This is demonic. This is not something. And you have authority. You have just, all you have to do is just say, Lord, would you just, would you just come alongside me and declare freedom of your life? I, so many times, I, I, I have to fight with the enemy and like the moment I get a thought, I'm like, not today, the enemy, like not today, Satan. I am, I am going to have a great day because the Lord still lives and I know that everything happens for a good reason. And when I really get tempted, I'm just like, I just start talking really out loud and people think that I'm weird, but I'm just casting the devils out. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. I am washed by his blood I am changed by His power. I stand in His righteousness, not on my own. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.